Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Minutes. Today, why electric car owners should pay more tax, plus the debate about government debt and spending. Should they just print more money, or is a day of reckoning coming? Hi, and thanks for taking the time to listen. And for starters, I want you to think about the government and Reserve Bank response to the recession and pandemic. The federal government alone has already spent the best part of $250 billion. There's another $250 billion in spending coming. And it's also forecast that gross debt could touch a trillion dollars in the coming years. The Reserve Bank, out of interest rate bullets to fire at our economy, is effectively printing an extra $100 billion to pump into the banking system to provide cheap home loans. We use water and we pay for the water pipes that deliver it. We use energy and we pay for the wires that deliver it. We use mobile phones and we pay for the data. Why should roads be any different? To provide cheap loans to homeowners and business in the hope that they'll start spending and investing. And you can already see in capital cities, house prices are starting to respond to that. So whose money is all this? Where's it all come from? And who'll pay it back? Clearly, future taxpayers will carry the burden for the debt and spending that's happening today. If, and only if, future governments and taxpayers choose to pay it back, that is. The government's part is to do less spending today would lead to an increased risk of complete economic collapse, pushing down asset values and putting even more people out of work. Now, later on on this episode, I'm just going to look at one new tax. It's a small one at the moment, introduced by South Australia. That'll see electric car owners pay more tax. Now, normally I'd be the sort of person to warn against any new tax, but this one to me, well, it kind of makes sense. From the government's point of view, from the idea that people with means who use our public facilities should actually pay for them. Here's a little of Adrian Dwyer, Chief Executive of Infrastructure Partnerships Australia, who's been lobbying for exactly this sort of tax for years. So Adrian Dwyer will be coming up very shortly, but let's go back to tax theory. There's a rebirth of an old idea in the US called modern monetary theory. This says that government budgets are not like those of business or families. In other words, money in, money out, and debt or savings. This theory says that government should use its powers of borrowing and spending to help control the rates of employment in an economy, much like the powers of a central bank, like our Reserve Bank. But as central banks around the Western world now have their interest rates at almost zero or even lower, the idea is that government should take more control over the economy by borrowing or printing more money than pushing that into the economy. This theory has been embraced by left-leaning politicians in the US, notably the Democrats, Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But the idea has been around for a long time, created initially by the US economist and hedge fund trader Warren Mosler. Indeed, one of the noted global proponents of the idea is an Australian economist, Bill Mitchell. I'll try and track him down for a future episode and talk it through with him. The backbone of the theory is that governments cannot and will not go broke. Sure, the value of their government bonds might collapse if they have too much debt, and like Greece or Italy, there's question about whether they can make their interest payments. But while interest rates are so low, the theory still stands. The commonly perceived problem of modern monetary theory, where government pumps money into the economy to stimulate demand in classic Keynesian economic response, is if you do too much of it, you risk inflation. Interest rates rising and those with assets and debts are exposed, just like the 1991 recession here when banks collapse along with house prices. 
And if you go back in history, say to Friedrich Hayek, the Nobel Prize winning Austrian economist who challenged Keynesian economic theory by saying free markets should be allowed to rule and that companies should be allowed to go broke, resetting asset values for the next generation of buyers, well, Friedrich Hayek would be appalled by all this talk of modern monetary theory. He'd say the government and its borrowed money should get out of the way and allow the market to prevail, even if that leads to the demise of businesses and jobs in the short term. Now, by the way, if you can find it, one of my favourite economic books is Keynes Hayek, The Clash That Defined Modern Economics by Nicholas Wapshot. It sounds dry, I know, but it's a cracking read about two of the foremost economic thinkers of the past century. It came out about 10 years ago, so you can still buy it. It's still around. I promise you, it is genuinely worth it. Okay, so on to today's episode. User pays taxes. To me, it makes sense. And clearly, those with limited means have to be subsidised. But ultimately, all taxes go into a big bucket. And the government hands that back to the people with potentially even more borrowed money on top. So why should electric car owners have to pay more? Well, listen up. So what I want to do here is bring in Adrian Dwyer. For a long, long time, Infrastructure Partnerships Australia has been calling for road charges for electric vehicles, not only on the basis of fairness, but also it has said for a long, long time that it needs to be a game changer. In in a report just only that was out last year, effectively Infrastructure Partnerships Australia said Australia really has no choice in regards to this. And indeed, it was a win-win and a home run in regards to tax. But there's a few issues of this. So as South Australia takes on this move, let's bring in Adrian Dwyer, the Chief Executive of Infrastructure Partnerships Australia and one of the long-term advocates of this plan to have people and owners of electric vehicles pay more tax. Adrian, many thanks for your time. Thanks, Ross. A pleasure as always. All right. So, you know, my numbers say that really in the budget this year, there was $5.5 billion, this is federally, of excise tax paid on petrol, $11.9 billion on diesel and $1.69 billion on other types of fuel. The issue is that that is going to decline over a period of time as electric vehicles become more predominant uh, on our roads, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And it's not just electric vehicles. Cars generally are becoming more efficient, smaller engines, higher efficiency. So that fuel excise is about $50 billion over four years. So a big chunk of change, but it's in terminal decline and it's been in decline for a number of years. Okay. But an owner of an electric vehicle today would say, well, hang on, I'm already effectively paying an extra tax to try and be good to the environment. Uh, Electric vehicles right now are more expensive than traditional petrol driven or diesel driven vehicles. Uh, And so they might be saying in their own minds, you don't want to put another disincentive to a person to improve emissions by buying an electric vehicle. Is that an argument that you've heard? Uh, yeah, I certainly heard the argument. I think it's worth taking a step back here and actually probably going back 15 years. We as an organisation, many others, Infrastructure Australia, the Productivity Commission, the Harper Competition Policy Review, have all said we've got to look at the way we pay for roads because the current approach is unsustainable. And that was before electric vehicles were a thing. We said that you've got to link the way we pay for roads to the way we use roads. Because right now, even excluding electric vehicles, if you're in a, a newer vehicle, 
you are paying less to use the roads than someone in an older vehicle because the amount of fuel you use and therefore the excise you pay is lower because you've been able to afford more efficient newer technology. That means the granny who's popping to the shops once a week in a 20 year old car is probably paying more than the person that owns a brand new BMW and driving their car into work every day. That's just not fair and it doesn't reflect the consumption and therefore how much we have to pay to provide those roads. What's novel about this approach is it says, actually, we've got a new technology coming in. It's now pretty certain that the future of light vehicle travel will be electric. Might be hydrogen, might be battery, might be something else, but it's probably electric. There's an opportunity here to get in at the ground floor and say, actually, let's correct this unfairness that someone in an electric vehicle isn't paying to use the roads while someone in a petrol vehicle is. Let's do it before they become mass market, make it fair now, in 20 years' time, we'll have done that transition to make sure everybody pays for what they use. It's fair and it's right and it needs to happen now. Okay, so South Australia raises only a million dollars or so in revenue out of this. So it's small change in the whole scheme of things in compared to, say, the federal government. But what you're saying is that there are other governments that are almost on the cusp of doing a similar thing to South Australia, suggested two other states might be going the same way. So it's almost one of these things when changes to taxes at a state level take place that other states very rapidly also move. The big one, though, is the federal government, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think we're getting traction on this with state governments because it's a good idea. Treasurers, transport ministers are looking at this and saying, well, actually, this makes sense. If you've got an electric vehicle that's not paying to use the roads and a petrol one that is, that's something we should correct. And it also solves a problem for us. The other point you've also indicated in the past is that the, any charges in the future should be distance based and cover the whole of the road network. And indeed, it may very well be that per kilometre charges could be capped to make certain that electric vehicle motorists pay no more than those who currently pay the fuel excise. But what you're arguing here is that there has got to be a like for like. There's got to be some 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 fairness uh, between the motorists who are using the road. Yeah, there has to be fairness, but it's worth just looking back and understanding why we have fuel excise in the first place. For the last 50 or 60 years, fuel excise has been pretty good. You tend to consume more fuel if you're in a heavier vehicle, if you drive further, therefore use more of the roads you tend to um, pay more excise and that that kind of work. But that that link between fuel excise and consumption of roads has broken in the last few years as cars have become more fuel efficient and electric vehicles will accelerate that change. It is, of course, absolutely appropriate to understand the the different benefits that electric vehicles can bring. And the the South Australian government has done that. As you mentioned, this is only expected to raise about a million dollars a year in the first few years Alongside that, the South Australian government has announced $18 billion of investment in infrastructure that supports electric vehicles. So there is a a net benefit to electric vehicle owners being provided by the taxpayer here. But what the South Australian government has done, and this is really smart, is they've got in ahead of the wave. Electric vehicles are coming. They're coming in a big way. They are the future. But we need to make sure before that future hits that we've got a sustainable way of paying for our roads that's fair on everyone, and make sure that we can maintain the roads we have and build the new ones that we need. 
I also noticed uh, this week that the boss of Kia Australia, a guy called Damien Meredith, has basically said it's not right that owners of petrol and diesel cars subsidise the rollout of electric cars. He's almost stood in the face of most of the other car companies, the car industry and the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries, by basically saying that really, if there are going to be electric vehicles, it must stand on its own merits and rather than being subsidised by handouts from government. So this is also a key in what South Australia is trying to do. Well, you're seeing what we'd expect in terms of reaction from those that are sort of deep into the electric vehicle space. But what we're seeing more broadly from governments, the engagement we've been having, uh, the commentary in the media, the Thody review in New South Wales, are all pointing in the right direction here, that you've got to have a system that both is sustainable for taxpayers, but that also recognises that if you use something, you should pay for it. We use water and we pay for the water pipes that deliver it. We use energy and we pay for the wires that deliver it. We use mobile phones and we pay for the data. Why should roads be any different? This is the opportunity to make this happen so we have a sustainable funding stream into the future. Okay, and then you go to the other part of this, and that is not just only the way in which the vehicles are being charged themselves, and presumably that's at the the point of purchase, but it then goes to the whole issue of the use of roads, and it is distance-based charging. These types of issues are some you've also talked about, about the way in which you make your road transport infrastructure as modern as you possibly can, and also that the users of those roads actually help to subsidise the maintenance and the development of those roads. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We know from decades of economic evidence that when users pay for something, they tend to get better outcomes. So if you think about uh, mobile phone networks, they're paid for by users, they're responsive to user demands. As demand for data has gone up, so too has the capacity of the networks to support that. So we can all watch Netflix without it buffering. The same is true of things like water networks. When you want to build a new house in a greenfield area because you pay for the infrastructure and we pay for it collectively through our bills, there's a pipe there to your plot when you build a new house. Roads are different. If you think about it, we're always catching up with roads. There's always potholes. There's always traffic jams. And that is a direct consequence of the fact that we don't link usage and charging. This is a a once-in-a-generation opportunity to make that link, make it an enduring link, undo the problems with the existing model that doesn't price use but prices an input. If we price use every kilometre you drive, we will get better roads and we will have a fairer system. When I say this is a win-win, that's the crux of this. Better roads and a fairer system. That's what we should be aiming at and this is the opportunity to do it. And I absolutely applaud the South Australian government for taking the action they have. And if I can say, Ross... It's not often we accuse governments of of long-termism and taking a forward-looking view. And I've been critical of governments, as you have, for the short-term approach when we're talking about economics and markets. But this is long-termism, and we should all be standing up applauding this and encouraging other state governments to follow and the national government to make sure that they all have a consistent system. Then there's one other aspect of road use right now, and that is given the fact that we are in this new digital economy where uh, we know that the uh, amount of online shopping represents 10% of the total retail spend, it's $28 billion worth of goods, they all have to be delivered. The very nature of road use is even changing over time. Uh, And again, it's going to be more electric trucks, and there's some big companies in the United States now really developing them 
them in a very significant way in the way that Tesla has. So, so this is also going to be key. It's not just motorists, families having to pay. It's going to be really the way in which we pay through the transport to our doors that's going to be important into the future. Yeah, absolutely right. If you think about all those white vans that are zooming around at the moment, delivering the packages that we've all been buying online, the grocery shopping that we've done, imagine they weren't paying to use the roads. And in a future where it's electric and we don't have this reform in place, they won't be paying to use the roads. And what we know from decades of economic evidence is if you don't have to pay for something, it will be overconsumed. We will find that those vehicles are not used efficiently. They're, they're rat running, they're zooming around our suburbs and we can solve this now at the ground floor. And it will initially start with light vehicles. Then it will be commercial vehicles and ultimately heavy vehicles will be electric. This is a reform that's robust to all versions of the future. You know, say, say we're wrong, Ross, say that, that electric vehicles are not the future. Well, we've still got fuel excise. Say it's not electric and we find some other way to power vehicles. If you put a distance based charge in, they're captured as well. This is an absolutely no regrets reform. Uh, and I applaud the South Australian government for taking the lead. There you go. Adrian Dwyer is the Chief Executive of Infrastructure Partnerships Australia, the industry think tank that provides research and shapes policy debate in regards to the national infrastructure. Always great with his time. And Adrian, great to have a chat with you today. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's episode. And of course, you can always give us your feedback via social media on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn or through your podcast app on Apple, Google, Spotify or Amazon. This has been a Talent Corp production. I'm Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Minutes. Nothing.